Wrestling. I am your host, professional wrestling manager and advocate, Prince Arjun, and on today's episode, we'll be covering the August 8th, 2002 episode of SmackDown. In our previous episode, we saw the rivalry between SmackDown GM Stephanie McMahon and Raw GM Eric Bischoff heat up, mostly through way too many backstage segments, and we also got the big surprise of Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero's debuts on SmackDown. Additionally, we got the setup for our main event tonight, Brock Lesnar versus Hulk Hogan. Speaking of which, we open with a video package about the Hulkster in a sepia tone that is made to look like it's on a film reel until the style switches completely. I could go on, but take a listen and judge for yourself. For 20 years, one man has dominated the world of sports entertainment. One man whose name is synonymous with greatness. The immortal Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Throughout his storied career, the Hulkster has always met adversity face to face. Though the obstacles in his path were overwhelming, Hollywood Hulk Hogan has continuously overcome, persevering where others have failed. After defeating arch-rival the Iron Sheik, Hulkamania was born. This worldwide phenomenon gave Hogan the strength and courage to run wild over awe-inspiring behemoths such as King Kong Bundy, the late Andre the Giant, and Yokozuna. Even talented and seemingly invincible opponents like Randy Macho Man Savage, Sergeant Slaughter, The Undertaker, and most recently Triple H have all been toppled by the legendary Hollywood Hulk Hogan. But now there's a new enemy, driven by greed and motivated by destruction. He is the next big thing. He is Brock Lesnar. This monster is as ruthless as he is cunning. With an intense gaze and animal instincts, Brock Lesnar is determined to not only beat Hulk Hogan, but to destroy and bury the myth and the legend. Can the icon again defy the odds and overcome his most dangerous adversary yet? The second part of this package is a little corny, but overall, this is a good way to showcase your main event as a big deal. Also, I could be wrong, but is the second narrator Taz? The world may never know. Today we are pre-taped two days in advance from the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia, where we are, according to Taz, bracing for an F5 twister tonight. Okay. Well, they may be bracing for an F5 twister, but it looks like they'll be getting an angle slam tornado instead because Kurt Angle is coming out for our opening match against John Cena. Get it? F5 Twister? Angle Slam Tornado? Huh? Huh? <sighs> Pre-Thugonomics John Cena comes down to his generic theme, his Powder Blue wrestling trunks, and his... RUTHLESS AGGRESSION! And while Angle and Cena are not involved with each other directly, Cole provides some nice context for us as Angle puts Cena into an armbar. Angle had, several weeks prior, provided an open challenge to which Cena accepted. Although he lost, Cena pushed Kurt to the limit and made a name for himself. It's obvious that the brass are all in on Cena at this point, because Taz and Cole keep mentioning Cena's RUTHLESS AGGRESSION several times throughout the match. Speaking of which, after a series of leapfrogs and other basic maneuvers, Angle takes a powder to the outside. 
After Angle comes back into the ring, Cena gets the upper hand with a power slam before Angle tosses Cena out of the ring and slams Cena's head against the stairs. Tossing Cena back in, Angle shows some ruthless aggression of his own and pours on some vicious heelish offense. This continues for a while, but Angle is able to keep the crowd, who starts an Angle sucks chant during a rest hold sleeper. Angle follows up with two German suplexes, but Cena is able to drop, block the third one and reverse it into a DDT. After this, Cena is able to get, in Taz's words, a second win in the fourth quarter, but Angle is a veteran and the two exchange the advantage before Cena dropkicks Angle off the apron and face first back onto the stairs on the outside. As Cena waits for Angle to recover and get back into the ring, something interesting happens. Now at four, now at five. Wait a minute! Chris Benoit! Cross face on Cena! The same move that had the rock tap out last week is now locked in to John Cena! Mysterio! Rey Mysterio! Oh, wow! Beautiful! Mysterio's on fire! and come back to see Eddie and Benoit walking in the back with rather pissed off looks on their faces. And let's pick it back up from there. Guys, can I just get one question? You know, notwithstanding with what happened just out there, but everybody wants to know, why did you leave Raw and come here to SmackDown? Shut up, man. Don't you have any manners to say? You know what? Look who you're talking to, man! Look who you're talking to! We're the homies that were on TV last week, beating Rock and beating Edge. You see, I said, this man right here, ese vato, he had the Rock tapping out like this. Oh no, Mr. Benoit! Oh no, Wolverine! I'm sorry, Latino! That's <laughs> it, man! Come on, look at him, Holmes! He's the master of submission! Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Excuse me. Please. Peep this, Holmes. <laughs> Nobody makes people tap like Kurt Angle. Get it? I'm the master of submission around here, pal. And John Cena would have been tapping if it weren't for you guys coming down and ruining the whole match. What's the big deal here, pal? What's the big deal? Yeah. The big deal is you were about to get counted out. 
Get out of here. Cena had you. Not. That's why Eddie and I like this show so much. Because it's by far the best competition in the world. Hey, that's why Eddie and I decided to come here. See more. Because we needed some real competition. Oh, you want competition? I'll give you freaking competition, pal. <laughs> or is that so? Oh, that's so. Oh, come on, come on, come on, man. It's been a minute, it's been a minute. Chill out, Holmes. Calm down, okay, Vato? It's not about that tonight. See, man, they say, yeah, man, I'm talking about those Chapetes, Mysterio, Cena, and Edge. They say they're the future, Holmes. Well, I say we are. And I say, how about us? That's right, you, Angle, Benoit, and myself, Latino Heat, against them tonight. Three on three. Come on, man. United we stand, divided we fall, let's say. That's fine, but I thought you wanted real competition. <laughs> let's do it, that's fine, let's do it, guys. I'm the master of submission. So to summarize, our heel duo of Benoit and Eddie are back to raise a little hell. Benoit does so by applying the Crippler's Cross face on Cena without warning, which of course brings in a schmoz of heels and faces alike, where we get a brief but exciting flurry of action, including a gorgeous tilt-a-whirl backbreaker on Ray by Eddie. However, unlike most schmozzes, this one happens at the end of the opening match and not the closing one, and sets things in motion for the rest of the show. This was an interesting ending to a pretty good match. Cena is put over by the announcers big time, and Angle gives him a lot, and you can see the potential in him, but he's not quite at main event caliber yet. Still, having him involved with big names like Angle shows you that Heyman's youth movement isn't just limited to Brock Lesnar. Next up, it's time to testify with Reverend Devon accompanied by the non-deacon Batista. And he is up against the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. A bunch of power moves and a failed interference spot by Batista, followed by more power moves, all end with the world's strongest man putting on the world's strongest lamb on the good reverend for the one, two, three. Batista and Devon attack Henry afterwards before Rikishi comes in for the save. Rikishi then gets a mic and gives us this. Hey, Devon! What you afraid of? Let him go! Let him go! Let him go! Let him keep going! What you want? What you want? Batista wants to beat up Batista! Well, Batista into the ring and... Here he's just got a match! This is a drop-through matchup between Rikishi and Batista! Rikishi doesn't even ask for a match, but someone rings a bell anyway, and the ref shrugs his shoulders, doesn't question it, and we have an impromptu matchup. No word from our general manager on if she approves, but the referee and timekeeper seem to be in, so why not? I'm going to allow this. While our impromptu match goes on, we are told that Edge, Cena, and Ray have accepted Eddie, Benoit, and Angle's challenge tonight. Again, no confirmation from Stephanie on this, but considering how many times we saw her last week, I think I'm willing to take Cole and Taz's word on this. As to our match, Batista delivers a lot of offense that includes yet another miscued interference spot. 
Rikishi gets a hope spot and signals for a butt bump, but Batista gets his foot up late in what should have been a boot to the face. Unfortunately, he ends up giving a shot to Rikishi's kidney, according to Cole. Well, it didn't cover up the blown spot very well, but even JR would have trouble with something this badly done. Regardless, or as my old psychology professor would say, irregardless, Rikishi bounces back by stomping Devon's attempted interference, delivers a super kick, and gets the one, two, three without the use of his ass for once. Usually I can excuse Rikishi's appearances because his dancing and his in-ring shenanigans gets the crowd hot, but we don't see either tonight. Instead, he's used in a dull throwaway impromptu match that occurred after another throwaway match. All we really got out of it, besides slowing us down after a great opening match, is teasing a Devon and Batista breakup. Just in case you care. With that unpleasantness behind us, we cut to the back to see the next big thing with Paul Heyman, and let's pick it up from there. The next big thing. Oh, Rock, Rock, hey, where are we going? Where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? We're going into Hogan's locker room. Why would we want to do that? That's not a good idea for us. Bro. I'm going into Hogan's locker room to find out if he really, really wants to go through with this tonight. Bro. I'm sure he does. You Paul, either you're in with this or you're not. You make the call. Oh, come on. Let's just talk about this. Listen to reason. This is not a good idea for us. Why do you want to antagonize this man now? There's no reason for this. Brock, think about this. Brock? So, you really want to go through with this, huh? End your career tonight. Lay it all on the line. Get in the ring with the next big thing. The guy that's going to SummerSlam for the WWE title, huh? Step in the ring toe-to-toe -to -toe with Brock Lesnar? Is that what you want? You're so young. Full of life, you got the world in the palm of your hand. No injuries, man, you got it made. But if I was you, I would lay it all on the line. I would put it all up for grabs. I'd prove the point you're trying to prove. If I was you, I would put my shot at the WWE title at SummerSlam. I'd put it on the line tonight. I would put that on the line if I was you. But then again, you're not Hulk Hogan, are you? That's what you want, huh? That's what you have, yeah. Let's do it, tonight. <laughs> what the hell did you just do? Do you realize, do you realize what you just did? What, 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 what the hell? Are you out of your mind? Do you know who that man is? That is Hulk Hogan, 20 years of defying the odds. Don't think of this guy as the guy that slammed Andre the Giant. Think of him as the legend that beat Triple H for the title just a few months ago. He always overcomes adversity. That's his whole M.O. He played you. You got suckered. What's the matter, Paul? You losing confidence in me? Huh? What's the matter? You scared? Aside from the big news that tonight's main event will be for Brock's SummerSlam title shot against The Rock, the best part of this segment is watching Paul Heyman in action. In classic heel manager and advocate fashion, Heyman's able to put over the babyface champion as a true threat while also boosting his client. Just listen to his spiel about Hogan again. That is Hulk Hogan! 20 years of defying the odds! Don't think of this guy as the guy that slammed Andre the Giant! 
think of him as the legend that beat Triple H for the title just a few months ago. He always overcomes adversity. That's his whole MO. He played you. You got suckered. Hogan may always overcome adversity, but Heyman always cuts an awesome segment. Great stuff. And now for the opposite of great stuff. As Heyman leaves, we see two women cat fighting. Uh, let's pick it up from there, I guess. It's always nice to see Kidman and Tori. It looks like we'll have to take them alongside the returning cold grinding couple of Nydia and Jamie Noble. Ugh. Nothing much to say other than this will set up a match later tonight, unfortunately. We cut to commercial and come back to the music of Billy and Chuck. The ambiguously gay duo. While they were last seen harassing John Cena, his attention is now aimed elsewhere, leaving Billy and Chuck, along with Rico and Rico's Mutton Chops, to have a match with Shannon Moore and Shane Helms, who is better known as the Hurricane. Shane Helms and Shannon Moore are two more cruiserweight division refugees from WCW. A little footnote, starting in 1999, there was a stable that parodied boy bands called Three Count that was made up of Moore, Helms, and Palumbo, who all make up three quarters of the participants of this match. Hi there, this is Prince Arjun coming at you from the future. It turns out my memory did not serve me, and Three Count did not contain Chuck Palumbo, but was instead made up of Shannon Moore, Shane Helms, and Evan Courageous, the last of whom is definitely not in this match. It's rare, but even princes can make mistakes. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. There were some good high-flying moves showcased by Shannon Moore that were fun to watch in this match. As for Helms, his Hurricane character would peak when he would have his famous feud with The Rock about a year later, but he's still able to work the crowd up with his goofy Hurricane displays in the ring. There are interference spots galore before a doomsday device, <laughs> I mean Code Red, is reversed by Moore into a cradle pin that causes Billy to miss and Moore to get the one, two, three. I came into this match thinking it would be a dud, and while it didn't blow me away or anything, it was much better than expected thanks to the chemistry between Noble, Helms, and Palumbo. Add in Moore's superhero poses and Noble's cruiserweight type moves, and this was a fun little romp. We cut to the back to see John Cena, Edge, and Rey Mysterio in the locker room. Rey is doing pull-ups and Cena is nursing his shoulder. Let's take a listen. I can see it out there, man. Feel it. And then Benoit comes in and puts on a couple cross face and he just snaps it in and he won't let go like some Canadian hyperbikes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, chill out. If you want that feeling back, that rush back, like right. when you had Angle beat tonight, well, we go out there and we beat them in the six-man tag team match. You know, they say that the three of us are the future of SmackDown. Well, I say screw the future. Let's make the future right now. You know, I got a bone to pick with, with Benoit and Guerrero after that tag team match last week. And when it comes to Kurt Angle, Yo, guys, yo, don't sweat, Kurt. I got Kurt Angle tonight. It's fun to see Cena's... Ruthless aggression! 
on display here as he rails about Benoit's finisher move, the Crippler's Crossface. Ray awkwardly interrupts to let them know he's planning on targeting Kurt Angle. I haven't been shy about how much I love Ray's in-ring work, but as you can see here, his promo work has never been his strong suit. The big takeaway from this, though, is that the Bookers really want to get over just how devastating Benoit's finisher is to the point that it is starting to drive Cena crazy. Okay, so this next part is not really relevant to the show, but it is so 2002, I had to include it. And now, the extreme blast of the night, rocked by QVC's Tower Power. With 460 watts of mind-numbing sound, dual-aiding subs, and MP3 playback to keep the party rocking all night long. The Tower of Power by JVC, the only system big enough to crush the competition. I'm going to put a picture of this on the show's Twitter account, but I remember quite a few dorm rooms featuring the Tower of Power around this time, long before everyone basically carried around a boombox and a Walkman combined in their pockets. We cut to the back to see Paul Heyman walking down a hall to the SmackDown General Manager's office, which, in the Richmond Coliseum, doesn't actually have a doorknob, but is a push-in door like the bathrooms you had back in school. Let's take a listen. Stephanie Mitten. Don Marie. Excuse me? I have some papers that are very time sensitive and, you know, I just haven't seen Don anywhere. It's urgent. I haven't seen her, but if I do, I'll, I'll send her right into you. But, but while I have you for a moment, I was just thinking, you know, I don't know if you heard the big news and, um, Brock Lesnar, the next big thing, walked into Hulk Hogan's locker room and Hogan, you know how Hogan likes to stir everything up, challenged Brock to put the SummerSlam title shot on the line. And oh, I know, Paul. I thought it was a great idea. Oh, sure. I mean, for Hogan it was. I mean, just to stir the pot and really get underneath Brock's skin and really get him all aggravated. Well, for the actually, I mean, I thought it was a stroke of genius on your part and Brock's part because, I mean, if you look at the SummerSlam main event, it's either Brock versus Rock or Rock versus Hogan, part two. I mean, really, it's just, it's a win-win all around for SmackDown. I'm, I'm so happy you came to me. You know, I really want to make that stipulation legally binding. You're on. Thank you. Now, please do send Dawn in here. Thank you, Ms. McMahon. You know, you're getting to be more like your father every day. Anytime we get an authority figure giving their blessing on impromptu matches set up by the wrestlers is always a nice touch. And as I mentioned last week, I like Steph when she's not overexposed. Here she does great with Paul Heyman, who plays his character perfectly, and since it's the first time we're seeing Steph, she hasn't worn thin. Yet. We go to the ramp and see our competitors walk in to their music. By the way, during Guerrero and Benoit's joint entrance, we get a sign. Latino Lawn Service, 1-800-MULLET. Oh, ruthless aggression era. For some reason, we go to commercial and miss the start of the match and come back to Angle slamming Edge on the mat. There's a lot of fast action here from all of these guys, so I won't cover it all in detail, but I will note a uh, interesting comment from Taz. Eddie Guerrero. Latino Heat. What that mean means, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's Latin and he's loaded with a pepper and loaded with ruthless aggression. 
Speaking of Latino heat, now is a good time for a spotlight on another one of the SmackDown 6. This time, Eddie Guerrero. He was born Eduardo Guerrero in El Paso, Texas, the youngest son of Salvador Gory Guerrero, a legendary Mexican wrestler in his own right. After training with his father alongside his nephew Chavo, Eddie spent his early career working in the CMLL and AAA, the two largest wrestling promotions in Mexico. In WWF, Eddie had a memorable run with the Radicals and later on with China, but was let go by the company in late 2001 after a DUI and other alcohol-related issues. I won't go into details here, but again, the documentary series Dark Side of the Ring goes into depth about Eddie's personal life around this time, although note that they do so in the context of Chris Benoit's past. After getting clean and sober, Eddie rejoined the company in April of 2002 and soon won the Intercontinental title from Rob Van Dam. He would lose it back to RVD on the May 27, 2002 episode of Raw before being acquired by Stephanie McMahon for SmackDown. For those of you who are interested in behind-the-scenes doings, SmackDown's head booker, Paul Heyman, had arranged to get Eddie and Benoit for SmackDown in exchange for Chris Benoit and the Un-Americans in an actual behind-the-scenes trade. This was how high Heyman was on Eddie and Benoit, and we'll soon see why. Much like last week's tag match main event, this match features old-school psychology. In this case, the trio of heels target the weak link, John Cena, by cutting off the ring, using frequent tags, sneaky interference, and using moves designed to weaken their victim. And, like last week, it works perfectly as the crowd gets more and more ready for the hot tag. That is, until Eddie goes up the turnbuckle to prep for a frog splash and Ray tries to pull him down. Ray is shoved off the apron by Eddie, but that gives Cena enough time to recover and deliver a superplex. This lets Cena finally get the hot tag into Edge, who goes to town on the heel trio, just as Eddie tags an angle. Remember that. Edge delivers spears on Benoit and then Guerrero. Angle attempts an angle slam on Edge, but Edge counters, bounces off the ropes, and delivers another spear on Angle. Benoit, however, has recovered enough to deliver a German suplex on Edge to cool off the hot streak. This match continues to break down as Rey Mysterio delivers a wheelbarrow bulldog on Benoit. Eddie follows up on that by delivering a delayed vertical suplex on Rey. Cena follows up on that by delivering a spinning sidewalk slam on Eddie. Angle follows up on that by delivering an angle slam on Cena, causing him to roll out of the ring. Angle pulls his straps down, gets to the ropes, on his knees, and yells down to Cena. This, however, puts him in the perfect position to get 619. Mysterio gets on the top rope for a springboard Hurricane Rana into a roll-up pin, which the announcers dubbed the West Coast Pop, and gets to 1-2-3, despite not being the legal man. I'm going to allow this. I did tell you to remember that Edge was a legal man for a reason. The announcers themselves are a bit confused if Ray was a legal man as they go over the finish of the match as we go to commercial. We come back from commercial to see another recap of the ending that shows Kurt Angle literally jumping up and down like an angry child in regards to the ending. We go to the back for an interview with Angle and let's take a listen. Kurt. Kurt. Obviously... I mean, it was an outcome that nobody expected. I, I mean, of all the possible outcomes that could have happened in the match, who would have thought Rey Mysterio pinning Kurt Angle? Kurt? 
I just got pinned by a freaking 12-year-old. <laughs> what the heck is going on around here? People running into my matches? Referees screw me left and right? I, I don't, what do you mean, referees screwing you left and right? You even watch the matches? Rey Mysterio was the illegal man. He was the illegal man. He's probably an illegal citizen. And if he had any integrity whatsoever, he'd come forth and forfeit the match. But I guess integrity isn't a part of his extremely limited vocabulary, is it? But I'll tell you something that should be in Mysterio's vocabulary. Broken ankle. Which is something Rey Mysterio is going to experience firsthand, courtesy of your Olympic hero. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Get out of my face. Obviously, our Olympic hero is none too pleased about being pinned by a 12-year-old. Angle is at the top of his douchebag heel game here, and I love this interview, especially since it sets up an Angle and Mysterio feud. There was one thing that made me cringe, but more on that in a minute. Overall, there are a few things that hurt this match and Angle's interview afterwards. One is the length because, frankly, this match breezed by in about 10 minutes in the middle of the show when it could have easily been the main event on TV or a match on a major pay-per-view and gone twice as long. Another is the finish with the referee error. Now, this may or may not have been intentional since Angle brought it up in the interview, but it still kind of taints the match as a whole. And also, Angle mentioning that Ray is possibly an illegal citizen is, uh, ugh. I mean, I get Angle is playing an obnoxious asshole here, and he does a good job of it, but Ray Mysterio literally was born and raised in California. Still, he's brown and has a Spanish name, so possibly illegal citizen, I guess. Heal or not, I'm not a fan of using race to sell anything in pro wrestling. Those qualms aside, this was a great match. Much like last week's tag match, go out of your way to watch this if you like tag team wrestling. As for Angle, illegal citizen crack aside, the line, I just got pinned by a freaking 12 year old, had me laughing out loud. If this leads to an Angle Mysterio feud, consider me fully on board. We go back to the announcers and get our second It's So 2002 moment when Cole and Taz talk about Triple X the movie, not the movie rating, and how Taz goes way back with Vin Diesel. Speaking of Triple X, Jamie Noble and Nydia come out for their mixed tag match against Tori and Kidman. In a truly class act, even for 2002 WWE standards, Noble gives Nydia a few slaps on the ass as he comes down with her. We're also reminded of the unfortunate incident they had with Cole last week as Nydia gets close to the announce table and threatens to take her top off for Michael Cole. Yeesh. Next up are Billy Kidman and Tori Wilson who come out separately. Tori doesn't waste any time by getting into the ring and attacking Nydia before the bell even rings. Noble and Kidman start things out with Kidman in control for a few minutes before he hits Noble with a sit-out powerbomb. The pin is interrupted by Nydia and that's when things get awkward. Take a listen. Uh-oh. Uh, Nidia, you're in trouble. Well, maybe she oh. well, she deserves that. He's going to love oh. this. And Noble with a shot to the back of the head. Little spanker. 
Maybe he would have been digging that. Oh, oh, walk oh. over the top right here in front of us. What you heard there was Kidman putting Nidia over his knee and spanking her before Tori comes in the ring and does the same, and all in front of the referee who does nothing, despite this going against every rule that I can think of. And that includes both rules for pro wrestling and rules for good taste. I'm going to allow this. In protest of this atrocity, I'll just end the coverage of this match by telling you that Nidia wins after rolling Tori up after Jamie Noble interfered. Let's move on. We cut to the backstage to see Don Marie walking to the swing door of Steph's office. For those of you who don't remember, Don Marie started as a valet in ECW and had signed with WWE in May of 2002. Although she had been on SmackDown, this is her first appearance on her timeline because before Steph became GM, Don Marie's main job was flirting with Vince McMahon and acting as his assistant. Yeah. Anyway, Don Marie entered the office and sees Stacy Keebler, Steph's assistant. This is when I normally would give you a clip, but I had a hard time sitting through all the terrible wooden dialogue, so I didn't want to subject you guys to the same thing. Long story short, Don needs to give Stephanie some papers. She implies she still wants to bang Mr. McMahon, then gives the papers to Stacy to give to Steph. After Don leaves, Stacy puts the papers under the couch with a smug look on her face. Thrilling television. We go to commercial and come back to the office where Steph walks in and let's pick it up from there. Stacy. Yeah. Was Dawn just in here? I heard Dawn was in the office. Did she drop off my documents? Well, she was here and I told her that you were looking for her and I told her where to find you. Well, she didn't. Well, and now I hear that she's left the building somehow. She did say something about meeting your father at the Marriott. Okay, thank you. You know, Stace, I want to apologize for last week. I sort of jumped to conclusions, you know, with your history and everything, and, you know, Bischoff being in my office, and you really have been keeping things running around here, and, and I do appreciate it. Thanks. Don't worry about it. And if Dawn calls, or if Dawn comes in here with those papers, please call me right away. Okay, okay, yep. thank you. I will. Get him? <laughs> the voice at the end is Steph's counterpart, the ever-slimy Eric Bischoff, who emerges from a cubby to read the papers with a laugh. Riveting stuff. The only positive thing I can say about this is at least they limited Eric versus Steph to one segment instead of four or five like they did last week. We then cut to the Hulkster in full red and yellow regalia with Mark Lloyd. Let's take a listen. I know you've made a habit out of beating the odds lately, but tonight, 
with a shot for the WWE title at SummerSlam on the line. Do you honestly feel you, you have what it takes to defeat a stronger, younger, and really what some are saying, an unstoppable Brock Lesnar? Okay, brother, you're right. Maybe Brock Lesnar is a little bit stronger than me. And let's face it, you know, he's 25 years old and I'm... I'm 29, dude. Okay, so I got a couple years on him. You know, in fact, conventional wisdom might say that I shouldn't even be thinking about beating Brock Lesnar. I don't have a chance. But conventional wisdom doesn't take into account that there's 15,000 Hulkamaniacs that'll rise to their feet and scream their lungs out for me, little dude. Conventional wisdom doesn't take into account that Hulkamania took a man that was down and out in this business and brought me all the way back to the top, to the WWE title. You know, it's Hulkamania, not Brock Lesnar, that's unstoppable. Brock Lesnar has never faced anything as strong as Hulkamania. Never, brother. So I'm counting, I'm relying on all my Hulkamaniacs to pull me through this one tonight with the next big thing so that I can face Rock and get my WWE title belt back, brother. And you sit here and you ask me if I think I've got what it takes to make it out of there alive tonight, brother. Well, that's not the question, little dude, that needs to be asked. We all know what the question is, brother. You know it. I know it. And the next big thing knows it. What you gonna do, Brock? What you gonna do, next big thing? What you gonna do, Brock Lesnar, when Hulkamania and 15,000 Hulkamaniacs run wild on you? What you gonna do? There wasn't much original with this particular Hulk promo, but by this time, nobody was watching Hogan in the yellow and red hoping for anything original anyway. They wanted Hulkamania running wild, and that's what we got. No complaints here. And now to our main event of the evening. As mentioned by Michael Cole, this is the biggest match of Lesnar's career to this point. Hogan comes out to a huge pop. I'm not entirely sure, but I think Hogan had been coming out to Voodoo Child as he had in WCW. Certainly the music on the network is a facsimile of Jimi Hendrix, and there's a gap where we hear crowd noise, but nothing from the announcers, so I'm not sure what music Hogan actually came out to back in 2002. If you know, please tweet us at DrawingHeatPod. Anyway, we start off with a stare down between the past and the future that Hogan uses to milk a huge Hogan chant. Eventually, the two tie up and we're off. We start off quite slow, but eventually Lesnar gets several brutal and inelegant right hands and a scoop slam. Lesnar showboats to the crowd, oblivious to Heyman screaming and his pounding of the apron. He's also oblivious to the Hulkster no-selling that brutal offense from just 30 seconds prior as he gets up and nails Lesnar with right hands and chops. Some Hulk-related offense only gets a one count, but when Hogan sends Lesnar over the top rope, you can see his anger at being bested so far. Heyman distracts the ref as Lesnar trips Hogan from the outside and pulls Hogan into the post. He gets in the ring and follows up with kicks and elbows. He mocks the crowd who continue their Hogan chant while Heyman screams for Lesnar to finish Hogan off. 
Lesnar takes Hogan to the outside and strips the announce table of its cover and the monitors, but Hogan recovers again to strike Lesnar back and send the action back in the ring. Hogan puts Lesnar in the corner and climbs the second turnbuckle to deliver ten right hands. Unfortunately for him, he only gets the six before Lesnar delivers a powerbomb. Ouch. This time, he takes Heyman's advice and attempts a pin, but only gets a two count. To make matters worse, Lesnar has now made Hogan hulk up. Uh-oh. Hogan no-sells, uh -huh. I mean hulks up, against Lesnar's right hands. Hogan returns some right hands of his own, then delivers a big boot. Hogan does some Hoganeers, teasing the leg drop, but Lesnar has some no-selling of his own to do. He attempts an F5, but Hogan slips out and delivers yet another big boot and nails Heyman off the apron. He delivers the leg drop for the one, two, no! Hogan is sent flying off Brock as the next big thing kicks out of the leg drop. Hogan is astounded, but Lesnar is already begging off. The Hulkster pushes on with more right hands, a big boot, and then bounces off the ring for leg drop number two, but Heyman is there to interfere. This interference earns Heyman a right hand, but gives Brock the opportunity to hit the F5, and he gets it this time. Lesnar doesn't cover Hogan, though. Instead, he showboats for the crowd to Heyman's dismay and then applies a side bear hug on Hogan. Lesnar applies the bear hug for a minute, and I'm going to play a clip of this so you can hear Heyman on the outside. And look at this. Side bear hug. Like a gut wrench. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. That is how Lesnar tries to suck the life out of him. Lesnar's got those big old hands, those big arms, and latch. Squeeze him to life with that great grip. And then out to back down the ledge. Squeeze the life out of Hogan. First the F5. Now the vice-like grip by Lester. How much does Hogan have left? Hogan's bleeding from the mouth of Turtle. It's coming right out. Oh, my God. Let's just pocket that little sound clip of Heyman shouting, Squeeze! for later. By the way, in case I haven't mentioned this already, I love Heyman as a manager and advocate. Eventually, Hogan begins bleeding from the mouth and going limp. The referee checks Hogan and calls for the bell, giving the victory to the next big thing. However, Lesnar keeps the bear hug on for quite a while before Heyman finally convinces him to let go. Lesnar isn't done with Hogan yet, though, so let's take a listen. Lesnar, no remorse. No remorse. He's a focused gladiator. Is Brock Lesnar the next big thing? Humongous victory for Brock Lesnar. The biggest victory in his career thus far. But even a bigger victory would be defeating The Rock at SummerSlam and becoming the undisputed champion. Ridiculous. 
Brock Lesnar's it's Shidaki. Brock needs to get his ass out of here. He's made his point. Enough is enough. Hogan is helpless. Hogan is defenseless. And this animal, this monster, is just loaded up. Somebody's got to stop this. Don't do it, Brock. No! no. Steel chair to the skull. Very uncomfortable feeling out here right now, man. This is not fun to be out here witness this. Oof. Lesnar is not satisfied with just defeating Hulkamania. He has to bask in its destruction, which apparently includes not just beating Hogan bloody with a chair, but also wearing Hogan's blood like war paint on his chest. Even crazy evil Paul Heyman and heel-sympathizing announcer Taz are appalled. Because of Hogan's age and his in-ring talent never being more than average, I didn't expect this to be a five-star classic. The pacing was a little weird with constant swings of taking offense and then immediately no-selling offense from both participants. It could have also had another week of hype, but for what it was, it was decent. The ending in particular I liked because it really puts Lesnar over as a beast that can sicken even normal heels like Heyman and Taz. The show finished with the image of Lesnar covered in the blood of his enemy, but our show hasn't finished yet, so let's go to the review. I have to give this show a thumbs in the middle trending up, or three stars out of five. The opening match and the six-man tag told great stories, featured great wrestling, and showcased five of the SmackDown six. Really, you can't ask for more. On top of that, we had a main event which, while lacking in great wrestling, set us up nicely for SummerSlam and sold me on Brock Lesnar as being a vicious monster. Even by 2002, it's weird to see Hogan let someone get over on him like that. The downside is that outside the SmackDown 6 and the main event and John Cena, nobody really has much to do that's very interesting. The feuds aren't well done when they even exist, and the more I see of Jamie Noble and Nidia, the less I like them. What a total waste of the Cruiserweight title. Also, while we didn't get too much of Stephanie this week, her continuing feud with Eric Bischoff seems like a waste of time now that both of them have already poached each other's talent. I really couldn't care less about the intrigue with Don Marie and Stacey Keebler, and I doubt I'm alone with that. That being said, my last least valuable player award goes to the team of Jamie Noble and Nydia again for the second week in a row. They really need to find something interesting for these two to do because everything they touch turns to crap and sort of a reverse Midas touch. I don't think we even got a reason for Tori and Nydia catfighting. Again, Noble is the Cruiserweight Champion, so that makes this terrible gimmick even worse. My most valuable player award goes to Paul Heyman. He not only does everything a heel manager and advocate is supposed to do in boosting his client, either by delivering promos, speaking in segments, or by cheating, he goes the extra mile by also putting over his client's babyface opponent as a true threat and is incredibly entertaining in doing so. He even is able to get over just how nasty Lesnar's actions are at the end by acting appalled and begging Brock to stop. Great work all around and why he's one of the best managers and advocates of all time. And that's it for episode 3 of Drawing Heat. I am, as always, professional wrestling manager and advocate Prince Arjun, and be sure to leave me a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you got this podcast. 
follow me on Twitter at DryHeatPod, and I will see you next time. Well, the 